The Bible tells us that unforeseen events happen to all of us. Your life may have been turned upside down, be it a job loss due to COVID, a medical condition, or the loss of a loved one. On this Jewel Show podcast, pastor and author Gerald Fatiomi uses examples from the life of Joseph to help us analyze and reboot our lives. I'm just going to go ahead and state the obvious here, okay? That we are living in a time that nobody has ever experienced. And what do you do with that? I have Gerald Fatiomi with me. He's an author and evangelist. And Gerald, you have written a very timely book right now. And it's When Life Gives You Lemons Make Lemonade. But when you were writing it, you had no idea what was coming down the pipeline. Yeah, uh, actually, it's, it's kind of funny. I was writing a completely different book. And about a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit, I decided to stop writing it. I just felt like I was forcing it. I wasn't inspired. It didn't feel like it was coming from God. It felt like I was just forcing something. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and it hit my family really hard. And in the middle of processing how it was affecting our family, the Lord reminded me of a sermon uh, that I'd actually preached a few years ago. And so I started digging into that. And before I knew it, two months later, I'd written the book, When Life Gives You Lemons. So, yeah, I was not planning on it, um, but the circumstances made it happen. So, Well, and you always hear that. I mean, that's the saying that I feel like every single mother has told their child. I feel like I say that to my kids constantly, you know, the, uh, the chin up, you know, turn that frown upside down kind of mantra. Um, so, so tell me though, what inspired it? Because it's more obviously leaning into God and not being on your own strength. Totally, totally. So the subtitle of the book are three must ask questions for navigating seasons of adversity. Um, candidly, I'm not an expert on much in 30 years of life. Um, but there is one thing that I know really, really well, uh, and I wish I didn't know it as well as I did. And that's adversity. Um, my story is just riddled with it from Growing up uh, with a mom who was schizophrenic, with parents who were never married, with a dad who left in the third grade, um, ended up uh, as a high school student um, when my mom went to jail, trying to figure out life on my own at 16 years old, um, became a club promoter, had three friends who were murdered, one friend commit suicide all in the same year, later became a Christian, got married in the first year of marriage, my wife's uh, dad took his own life. Um, had to bail my mom out of jail multiple times that same year. And then as of recent in this coronavirus pandemic, uh, my wife was seven and a half months pregnant with uh, our identical twin girls. And I had just come back from a work trip. And two days after getting home, I started feeling really bad. And so I went down to the ER, um, got a coronavirus test. I was told 48 hours that I'd get my results back. And in those 48 hours, my wife went into labor. Um, And so because of my coronavirus testing pending, I was not able to be in the hospital with her when my girls were born. Um, She had to have the test as well. And so because she had to have the test, she could not see or hold our girls for the first two days of their life either. And so uh, the season was extremely difficult for us, for sure. Um, And all of this adversity kind of led me to this place of going, okay, there has to be a way to respond to this well. And again, that's when the Lord took me back to the story of Joseph and a message that I preach on that and three questions that come from his life that are helpful. Uh, And and so, uh, well, first of all, tell me, did did y'all test positive or for Corona? Great question. Yeah, so we, uh, we, the girls were born on a Wednesday. We got our negative test result back on a Friday. Uh, we saw the girls for two days and then got a call from the hospital telling us that the NICU, where our girls were, uh, was going to be shut down indefinitely because there was a confirmed case of another parent with coronavirus in the NICU. And so we ended up going another three weeks without being able to see or hold our girls. So in their first month of their life, we saw them for four days. 
And is this the whole time that you're writing this book? Is this how God's like birthing this in you? Because you said just what, two weeks before uh, the global pandemic happened, you were feeling God was shutting down the book you were intending to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the middle of all of this, I had to find an outlet. And so I just started writing. I went back and looked at those old sermon notes and started writing some things out. Um, And so, yeah, during the whole thing, I'd come back home Mm. um, from the NICU when we saw him those first couple of days, and I'd be writing. And then over that time of three weeks where we couldn't be with them at all, every day, every night, I'd get my computer out and just write as much as I could. Uh, And I love, Gerald, that that God brought the story of Joseph in your heart, because honestly, that's a story that God reminds me of. Um, during these weeks and months and how it stretches on, that the God is sovereign over all things. Yeah, yeah. So what are the three points that you um, glean during your, I guess you would say your sour lemon times of your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before I tell you the three questions in the book, let me tell you the question that we all tend to ask in seasons like this. Uh, yeah. The question is why, right? Like when all the time. things happen, yep. The question is why. Why is very rarely ever the right question to ask in a season of adversity. It doesn't, it doesn't lead us anywhere positive. It causes us more anxiety, more stress. And honestly, it causes us to miss what God is doing and how he may be wanting to grow us, develop us, use us in seasons like this. And so I want to table the question why when we go through something difficult and give us three better questions from the life of Joseph. The first question is simply this. It's what's in my control. Um, I heard a, a pastor talk about an illustration that a Marine gave about the circle of control. Uh, this is in the first chapter of the book. And the circle of control are two circles. Um, the inner circle is the circle of control. The outer circle is the circle of concern. And the reality for most of us is when hard things happen, we live in the circle of concern. There are things mm-hmm. that make me anxious, things that are stressing me out, things that keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. And we spend all of our time living in that space. But this Marine said, no, 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 when I go to war, there are things that are concerning to me, but I've learned I have to release my concerns, move inward to the circle of control, and do the things that are in my ability to control, and trust that the other things will just be taken care of. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but what he's saying is actually a biblical principle, right? Like, this is what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your request to the Lord by prayer and petition. And when we do that, we get back the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, right? So what we know is the recipe for peace is releasing our concerns to God, doing what's in our control, and we find more peace in adverse situations. It's not a one-time fix. It's a daily decision. Like moment-by-moment decision. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what's in my control is the first question. The second is how can I grow from this? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the favorite, one of my favorite lines in the book, and that's kind of weird to even say that I have a favorite line that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my favorite lines in the book is I don't want to get through this. I want to grow from it. And I think when we hit seasons of adversity, it's very easy to try to put our head down and just get through it as quickly as possible. Yes. Um, yes. What we know is that Seasons like this actually grow us. They develop us. They make mm. us better. They make us more like Jesus. And I, f- I find that this season of life, um, what's going on with the coronavirus, how much I'm, I-, I-, I am afraid almost to just be still and, and just to stop. I think I've- I'm realizing that I am um, trying to get through those sour times in my life. I sprint and almost kind of hold my yeah. breath until I get through it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, so there's two goals for the book. Uh, the first is to cause all of us to slow down mm. and ask the right questions. Because you're right, our tendency is to sprint, it's to put our head down, get through it as quickly as possible, and never look back on it. But we miss it when we do that. We miss what James talked about in James 1, right? That we could consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kind because 
the testing of our faith leads to perseverance, and perseverance leads to mature and complete faith where we lack nothing. Mm. So we run through it. We miss the opportunity to grow in perseverance. We miss the opportunity to become more like Jesus. We miss the opportunity to do the third question in the book, which is who can I help because of this, right? Mm. Like how can I slow down for long enough to go my season of adversity may be the very thing that God uses to save someone else's life, to lead someone else to know him, Mm. uh, for me to have an opportunity to serve them, right? Like these are the stories of cancer patients who lead their nurses or their doctors to know Jesus. It's, it's people who in the middle of their adversity stop for long enough to go, God, I don't want to miss what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm going to lean into you and be a part of whatever it is that you want to do through this hard situation. And, and, and this, the world will go back to normal. Life will continue on. And are you going to let God use it? Or are you going to waste this time? Yeah. Yeah. The world will get back to normal, but adversity will happen again. Right. Right. And so uh, we have an opportunity to lean in now and put some principles into practice that will prepare us better Mm -hmm. for the next season of adversity that comes, whether it's a global pandemic or personal issue that we're wrestling through. Gerald, is when you're in the middle, say, for instance, when your daughters were born in the NICU, you couldn't even touch and hold them. What do you go to to remind yourself that God um, loves you? Yeah. uh, I mean, obviously the scriptures are an easy place to go, but I always say to my friends, um, the best thing that God has given us outside of Jesus is us, right? Hmm. And so I have to lean in the community. I have to let people hold me when I can't hold myself up. I have to let people remind me what's true when when there's moments that I'm doubting or moments that I have questions about it, right? Like this is what Galatians said, that we're to bear each other's burdens and to fulfill mm-hmm. the law of Christ in doing so. And so I think the more that we can lean in the community and let other people remind us of what's true and let other people pray for us and with us, let other people say the words to God that we may not be able to say on our own, um, the more that we can find healing and hope in really hard situations. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there somebody who uh, that you always go to? Yeah, actually. So one of our girls uh, is named Wesley Grace. Um, and she's named after my mentor who actually led me to know Jesus. Um, in the middle of my mom in jail uh, as a junior in high school, he just showed up over and over and over again in my life. And it's been pretty consistent in my life, honestly, since my freshman year of high school. Um, and so we named our little girl after him. And I remember driving down to the hospital. Um, and when I got the call from them telling me that I could not come in, he was the first call that I made. And I mm. just wept on the phone with him. Um, and he told me later, uh, he's married, he has three kids of his own. Um, he told me later that after he got off the phone with me, he went to his wife and he said, I think I have to go in the middle of coronavirus, mind you. And his wife looked at him and said, I got the kids, go take care of him. Um, fortunately, he didn't have to come down, but they were literally willing to risk their their own safety and health because at this point, I didn't know if I had coronavirus or not, right? So they were risking their own safety mm. and health and the mom being with her kids by herself for an extended period of time um, so that he could care for me and be for me, wow. be there for me and be the community that I needed. In that and, and being willing just to get their hands dirty. I mean, you know, just, just love yeah. you. So how did y'all become friends yeah. in high school? Yeah. So Wes is actually 10 years older than me. Um, I worked at the YMCA in my freshman year in high school and he was the director of teen initiatives. Um, and so he was kind of my boss, mentor, friend. Uh, we would wake up at five o'clock in the morning and play basketball together at the Y because I played for my high school um, and he played when he was in high school as well. And so we kind of developed this friendship very early on uh, that stuck, that's lasted, gosh, for 15, 20 years now, somewhere in that range. Yeah. So. And so it, uh, it, it brings you back to that third point, but who can I help because of what I've been through? Yeah, yeah. That your friend poured into your life, and so now you're pouring into youth 
um, going and being an evangelist and speaking. Yeah, absolutely. I would not be who I am today had it not been um, for the investment of West in my life. And honestly, one of the things that I've learned a lot from him, um, and this is one of the big concepts for the book, is we have to learn how to redefine good. Um, him and my, my adopted, kind of adopted dad um, have always pointed me back to this idea, right? Like our definition of good is so skewed. It's so skewed. Um, mm. We think that good is anything that happens according to our purposes, our plans, our purpose. If things are going our way, then life is all good, right? Uh, Romans 8.28 does not say that. That's how we translate it because our American Christianity is what we want it to say, but that's mm. not what it says. It says that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who loved him and who are called according to his purpose, to mm. God's purpose, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what's God's purpose for you and for me? I think it's really simple. It's two things. God wants us to wants to conform us into the image of His Son. He wants us to be more like Jesus, right? Uh, and secondly, He wants us to make disciples. That's God's purpose for us—to be more like Jesus, to lead other people to know Jesus. When we look at life through that filter, through that perspective, it now changes the way that we see any season of adversity, right? Um, because if a hard season makes us more like Jesus, then while it's hard, while it's painful while it's unbearable, while we wouldn't wish it on ourselves again, it's actually a good thing. I'm sure there were many days um, that Joseph would say, this isn't good. (laughs) When his brother sold him into slavery, when, you know, all the things that Joseph had to go through, but God's purpose for Joseph was good. Right, right. And what's interesting in Joseph's story is we never really see him ask the question why. Right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's no record of Joseph going, God, why are you doing this to me? All we really see is Joseph navigate adversity, do what's in his control and every, at every turn. Right? He can't control being sold into slavery. He could control how hard he worked at Potiphar's house. Right. He can't control Potiphar's wife coming on to him. He could control being a man of integrity and saying no. He can't control being, sold, or being ended up in jail for a crime he didn't commit. He could control his attitude while he was there that he would earn favor with the guards and the other prisoners. And so at every turn, we see him do the things that are in his control. Mm-hmm. We see him grow from this like braggadocious kid who's telling everyone that he's going to reign over them to now this mature, humble, teachable leader that ends up saving a nation and his family in the end of the story. And then we also see like, the last question, who can I help because of this? We see him choose to help the very people who hurt him, right? And so uh, these three questions are deeply embedded in his story and in his life that he would not ask the question why, but rather he would believe and trust that the Lord was with him and allow God to work in him and develop things in him uh, that would lead to this this beautiful end result of his story. Mm. Mm. And then the freedom to forgive his brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's huge. Uh, forgiveness is, is an extremely difficult thing to do. Uh, and honestly, I wish I could get to the place that Joseph is. There's some, there's some areas in my heart that I'm still asking God to work on in me. Yeah. Um, but to be able to look at your adversity and, and look at the things that other people have done to you, some mm-hmm. adversity that they've caused in your own life, and be able to step back from it and go, you know what, God's going to use this, and I'm mm-hmm. going to choose to step into that, even if it means I feel like I didn't get the apology that I needed or the forgiveness that I needed from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to step into it uh, and honor God in doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, Gerald, as you know, I mean, everybody, their worlds are ta- turned upside down, um, record-breaking unemployment. So what would you say to somebody who has lost their job, um, doesn't know how they're going to make ends meet? And, and you're saying that, that this is good. God has a plan for you. I think I would first say, um, acknowledge the sour 
Uh, I went to a counseling session for the first time six years ago, and I hope that we can break the stigma on counseling. I think people think it's like you have to go if there's something really wrong. I think every person should go to counseling at some point in their life. Uh, it just helps you grow and become better. And so I sat in a counseling session, and I had a counselor look at me, and it was the most freeing thing anyone said to me, honestly, I think ever. She said, Gerald, you know that you are the way that you are, and your story is the way that it is, because there are things that happened in your life that just weren't fair. And you like to move past them and tell me that you're okay, but you just need to know it's okay to not be okay. Mm. So let's just sit there for a minute, and let's acknowledge the fact that what you went through is really hard. And so I would just say to anyone who's in a hard season, it's okay to grieve the season that you're in. It's okay to pause for a minute and go, this is really hard. And I did not want this, and I do not want this. But I would also say to you, hey, the story is not over. This is just a chapter, and the page gets to turn, right? And so we acknowledge the sour. We sit in it for a moment and recognize that this is hard. This is unfair. This is not what we desire. But then the next thing we do is we see the potential. We look into the future, and we go, who do I want to be at the end of this? What is the end result that could come from this? And what can I do now to start working towards that preferred future and trusting that God's going to be with you in it? And it may not end up the way that we want it to, but like I said, the end result is if we become more like Jesus, if we can lead people to know Jesus, then we know that the purpose of it is good. And it may be hard, but it's a season that you will get through. It's not over. It's just a chapter in the story. Mm -hmm. and, and God is going to work this out for your good and his glory. Absolutely. 100%, 100% of the time. All right, Jared, we're going to take a quick break and then come back. I want to talk to you about youth. I know you spend many, many hours with them, and I would love to know what have they taught you? Yeah, absolutely. Our latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast is full of laughter. It's a Zoom conversation with comedian and author Steve Geyer. Steve has been doing comedy for years, and he shares how his faith changed the way he did comedy, from doing stand-up to conducting marriage events. They were headed for a divorce, but by the end of the night, their arms were around each other, and they wanted to rededicate themselves to each other, and they asked if he would come be a part of it. Check out our conversation with Steve Geyer on the latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast, available now at thejoyfm.com or anywhere you subscribe to find podcasts. Gerald, your first book um, was for high schoolers. Uh, so you've spent many, many hours with them. What are some things they have taught you? And what in this um, coming generation brings you hope? Yeah, so my first book that I wrote is called Before You Go. Um, it's written for the high school senior. That's like my favorite group of people in the world, honestly. Um, high school seniors have this unique ability to still have a ton of fun and not take life too seriously but also to lean in and get serious and have vulnerable, authentic conversation. And so I wrote this book for them because the statistics say that 70% of high school seniors who follow Jesus will walk away from their faith in their first year of college. And I wanted to step into that space and help. Um, what's interesting is that the entire concept of that book was not my idea. It was not from great research that I'd done. It was from sitting with college students who went, Gerald, when you are a student pastor, here are some things that you told us that were really helpful which was like, oh, cool, pat on the back, like I feel good about my life. And then they spent the rest of the time, which was the majority of the time going, here are all of the things that you should have told us before we went to college. <laughs> um, and so sitting with a group of students who were able to go, hey, we still follow Jesus, we're growing in our faith, but there are some things that I wish we would have known before we got there. Um, man, it did a couple of things for me. One, it gave me hope that the statistics 
may be true for now, but they won't be true forever, right? There's a generation of, of young adults who are really trying to pursue Jesus with all that they have, um, and they're shifting the narrative and changing the perspective um, and changing the statistics, which is really cool. Um, but two, it just showed me it does not matter how old someone is, they can always teach you. And uh, as a student pastor, uh, as a leader, you think it's your job to invest in them, but then you have these moments where you realize that they're investing in you as well. Um, and, man, that perspective shift is just so huge. Right, right. Well, is there a big takeaway now that you're a, a new dad uh, that you're going to incorporate into being? <laughs> yeah, uh, gosh, all of the advice that I, if you're a parent that I've ever given advice about how to raise your kid, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm like, now that I have two of my own, I'm like, what was I talking about? I have no idea what to do with these two beautiful baby girls. Um, yeah, honestly, man, I think the biggest thing um, that I've learned from students that I want to implement in my own kid's life is just being a present parent. The students who I know who are still following Jesus and who have open and honest conversation with me, but honestly with their parents as well, are students who can say at every single event that I had, my mom or dad were there. Mm. At every single practice, performance thing that I had going on, my parents showed up, but it wasn't just the events. It was at home. Like, they would come sit in my room and just talk to me. And I can remember vividly the moments that they'd sit on my bed or they'd ask me questions about my day. And even if I didn't give them a long answer, they'd ask again the next day. And I think just being that parent who's present and who's going, mm-hmm. I'm here for you, I'm with you, I'm on your side, I'm cheering you on, uh, is a huge learning for me, especially because I honestly didn't have that growing up, right? Like my dad wasn't around for most of my life. We just reconnected after 20 years. Um, and so I didn't have that from him. And then with my mom, having schizophrenia and ended up in jail my junior year in high school, that relationship just wasn't the one where where I had that parent who was present and going, I got you, I'm with you. Uh, And so that's the biggest thing for me is to be that for my girls, to be the the dad who's the obnoxious one in the stands at every single event, you know. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you are because um, before the recording started, Gerald uh, told me, he said, I think I got maybe one hour of sleep last night. So you're showing up, (laughs) changing diapers and giving bottles and (laughs) doing all the things that you can do when you have little babies. And Listen, it is, um, I, I, I don't want to be that woman that says this, you know, the old lady that's like, oh, cherish every moment, but I'm going to say it. Okay. Cherish every moment. <laughs> it does go by fast and I'm sorry. I told myself I would never say that, but now here I am. So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. well, Gerald, thank you so much for, um, talking with us, reminding us that God is good and God's working everything out, no matter what your circumstances or your feelings might be saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This is this is truly a gift. Now, the book, When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Lemonade, uh, how can we get it? Uh, yeah, so the book releases on June the 15th. It'll be available on Amazon. Um, but in the meantime, you can go to thelemonbook.com, thelemonbook.com. Uh, and if you'll go there, you put your email address in. We'll let you know as soon as the book is available. There's also some resources that we've created to support the book. I've worked with a licensed professional counselor named Hannah Hall, who's based out of Athens, um, and we've created a course for uh, overcoming overcoming adversity and for battling anxiety. We, we found that one of the byproducts of adversity is anxiety, and so she's going to offer us some clinical Christian help, um, some resources and some exercises that we can put into place to, to work on those two things as well. So all those resources are available at thelemonbook.com, and they'll be coming to you June 15th. Gerald, it's just so timely. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, 
how God is, you know, working this out in your life so that you could then give it to others. Yeah. He is, uh, he's faithful to do that. You know, yeah. he's faithful to do that. Well, listen, um, give your baby some squeezes for me, wash your hands and stay well. <laughs> I will. I will. See you, Jules. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Jewel Show podcast. You can reach out to today's guest on his Facebook page at Gerald Fadiomi. That's spelled G-E-R-A-L-D-F-A-D-A-Y-O-M-I. Join us for the next Jewel Show podcast available at thejoyfm.com and wherever fine podcasts are found.